Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to another edition of Tag the Roll. This is your host, Mark Schindler. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jake Rosen. Jake, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Um, we're here to talk about two very good and enticing prospects. And again, we're joined by a guest. I think this is our third straight episode with a guest after a long streak of just us two hashing at it. So I'm very excited for this one. Yeah, after getting reamed out by him for making sure that he wasn't our first guest, uh, <laughs> I'm very psyched to bring on our good friend uh, and just great person overall, PD Webb. PD, how are you doing today, man? Uh, you know, I've I've taken a couple of, of weeks to 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 heal the emotional damage I sustained from being lied to, um, but I understand that like when you get a Hollywood guest. Uh, like Jake Hoffman or somebody in Cyclist Chip, you know, they gotta they gotta cut the line. Um, it's cool, you know. I, I just thought our contracts were binding. That when you guys said I was the first guest, it wouldn't be an issue. But like, hey, you know, I get it. Um, you guys, you know, when I talked to to my doctor, your agents, they said it was straight. So both of are so big time now. But you know, this is what happens when you deal with Hollywood people. That's why they have the reputation they do. Um, just look, just a piece of advice to any up and coming uh, uh, NBA writer or, or anyone in basketball just uh when you're dealing with the big time folks just get in writing that's the mistake i made um i'm doing pretty well in that you know uh i'm mostly mended um uh, mostly doing well diving uh pretty deep into the 2022 2023 draft classes um it's that time of the year where like we can now have enough information to to start to you know, really look at, at what we have to look at the draft as a as a larger group and to start to take, have bigger takeaways. Um, I think we're firmly outside of the small sample size theater uh, section of the season. And and now the the form of the draft is kind of taking shape. Yeah, we have a we've eclipsed the uh, seven game mark. So now we can make real proclamations, as noted by your tweet, PD. <laughs> Yeah, we were past the Keegan Murray beating the shit out of Missouri Valley Conference teams uh, and playing against the Big Ten. 
So yes, it is a it's a very different landscape now. All new world. Let's uh let's get into it. We're talking about two prospects that are pretty much other than Chet, who we talked about last uh, last pod with with Chip. Um, I mean, Paolo and Jabari Smith Jr. have been the two guys uh, kind of grappling for the number one spot uh, in a, a draft discourse. I guess would be the way to put it, uh, especially with a definite rise from Jabari lately. He's, he's been playing extremely well. Um, so we're here not to pit the guys against one another, but just to try and bring levity to the discussion and looking at both guys and um, understanding where we're at in regards to the number one pick uh, and, and not just the number one pick in general. I mean, that, that you know, Chet plays a part in that as well. But uh, looking at these two uh, very different but uh, – very important prospects in the cycle. So Jake, I'll turn it over to you, man. Where do you want to get started with this? Yeah. So we are going to grab, we're going to dive into Jabari and Paulo, as Mark noted, two prospects known as the consensus top three. I think we've now established with Jabari, Paulo chat with Ivy knocking on the door for some people. I've seen Johnny Davis enter that conversation now, but regardless, we are going to talk about Jabari and Paulo today, two modern four archetypes i think people get pegged as they're a little bit different paul is more inside oriented with who has been experimenting as of late jabari always been this stretch four who is going to derive his value from shooting i want to start with the priors because our guest pd just wrote an incredible article that highlighted paulo and what he had lost from the pandemic and i do think there are some stark contrasts Jabari, as I think you mentioned, you mentioned the team. I'm not sure if you mentioned Jabari specifically. It's kind of slipping my mind. I think you mentioned JD, um, yeah. who played on that Atlanta Celtics team. JD Davison, Jabari, uh, Jabari Smith, Matt Cleveland all played together and were playing as early as June 2020, if I recall correctly, yeah. in, in, some, yes. in some local tournaments at, with Atlanta Celtics, playing against teams like B-Mays, Team Huncho, uh, so all Georgia teams, but circuit level teams, getting high level competition. And while Paulo, Paulo, I think there was maybe a clip of him that I remember surfacing against Pat Baldwin Jr. towards the towards August, I think of 2020. But that might have been in a one off, one weekend event. Definitely not as frequently as Jabari and Atlanta Celtics were playing throughout that summer. And then during the high school season, Jabari was playing public school ball. That film is available. I watched some of it for pre-draft on uh, nfhs.com. I always butcher that. But Jabari, or Paulo, I should say, was in a much more experimental role playing in the grand circuit, limited games, maybe I think eight to 10 by my count. And it my was, rough count is 15 for, for Paulo okay. between like 15 to 20 max in between uh, the last game uh, or the, the, the state final for O'Day. Yeah, the okay. 3A final for O'Day to the first game against Kentucky for Duke. So basically what I'm kind of trying to set the scene for in this long-winded explanation is that Jabari was playing a lot more high-level basketball than Paulo was. That should not come as a surprise. That is just a simple fact. Jabari was playing high-level AAU and organized public school basketball in Georgia, which is no slouch for competition, while Paulo was mixing in an AAU event when he could here and there, but much less frequently, and then playing in the grand session, which if you watched those games, they were glorified pickup games, and Paulo was kind of just given the keys to do whatever, which led to some shot-making flashes, and I think allowed him to feel a little bit more comfortable explore, exploring the perimeter studio space that he has dipped into a bit at Duke, but there are largely some 
negative drawbacks that come with his overall experience from the start of the pandemic to now, as PD mentioned. So I kind of want to give you the floor to dive into that and then talk about the difference in what we've seen in priors versus what we see right now from these two guys. This is a uh, this is a fun conversation because it's two guys that I have like really different priors on um, with Paulo. Like, I think I like heard about Paulo and, and saw Paulo for the first time when he was like about to enter high school, um, and he had the best freshman rim protection tape I've ever seen. Like it, it looked like a twenty seven year old NBA player in terms of the verticality, the timing, the angles. Um, it just like didn't make a ton of sense, um, and like Jabari sort of. But I would say, like, famously, one of the people that we talked to is like, I didn't think he was good the first time I saw him. Um, and uh, when when he was on that that U sixteen team for Team USA, like, I thought that he was one of the lesser prospects on the team. Um, and when I circled back to him, uh, at, like during at the next high school season, like, it was so clear that he expanded the range beyond to sixteen footers, which is kind of like what I thought all he took was just like sixteen footers and. And some light drives. Um, it, it looked a lot like you know, uh, like freshman Mobley, where like he could just get bumped out of the way and, and really had to like take weird stuff just because he couldn't hold spots or and didn't necessarily have the touch to overcome it. Um, where like Paolo was just like a he could play 17s as a freshman uh, in UIBL, you know, which is both terrifying from a physical perspective and just like the level of maturity on the defensive end is, is that's not something that many freshmen in high school can do. Um, so my, I think that my, my priors around Paolo sort of come from this idea of him being like a really high field wing um, and, and, and like a, a high field wing as high school progressed, but he started out, the original pitch for Paolo was that he was a play finisher who could really pass um, and uh, had like this, this technical aspect to him. And I like to like games Paolo. Um, as the season starts, I, I don't find that my process is helped by, by watching like the first couple games um, like live or, or you know, uh, in isolation, because I feel like I overreact to them um, or I try to, to, to have ideas that end up going nowhere. Um, so I generally like to like watch them, sort of watch them as like more of a fan of like, oh, that's cool, but not trying to, to draw too much. So as people were watching like the first, you know, four or five two games, I saw a lot of like, yeah, Paolo looks like sort of processing slow. And this set off some alarm bells for me, just because like that's not the prospect that that I was familiar with. And it's not it's not just like oh yeah, like that's the thing that he doesn't do. It's like no, this is the opposite of what he does. Um, it's the like they told me Steph Curry couldn't shoot tweet, but like for you know a, a six ten big man. Um, and as it started to you know like as I went went through all of it, and I was watching it, but I wasn't you know trying to, to, to immediately react. Um, once I had five or six, I went through and cut it and like people aren't wrong. But, like the reaction time is really slow. And I don't think it's possible to watch Paolo pick apart really high level defenses that are two and three years older than him in high school and then see this Duke stuff and be like, okay, something happened here. And the piece that I wrote uh, scouting off the screen, um, which you can find as a, as a recent thing on Patreon, which is always free. Um, and, and uh, do recommend reading is, is about how the pandemic affected different people's progression differently and that that it needs to be something that's considered as essentially as you know true shooting percentage or or how their architect could be could be altered how their performance could be altered by the balance of development they had in the 
you know, two, between two years and one year. Um, well, more many people were in isolation um, in, in the Pisa sort of layout, what I would consider like a dialectic of development, um, which is like basically you have like the learning phase, um, which is where people, you know, it, it's the stuff you see on Instagram. Guys going, you know, one on zero or like one on point five. They're working, you know, on the elements of a move. They're working on, you know, how to do it, how they want to move. They're working on, you know, really adapting something. And you have the experimental phase, which is like to me like the perfect definition is, is Paolo with BFL Prep, um, or like some of the AU he played play where he's not doing any of the things that he was doing uh, with with Rotary. It's him doing stutter rips. It's him taking side steps out of pick and roll. It's him being a high volume three-point shooter uh, out of like some pretty like intense versatility. Um, it's him just being like, okay, so what more can I add? What more can I do? Because like the things that I'm good at, I already know that I'm good at. Let's try to, you know, just expand the game. And the third phase is just the executive phase, which is like trying to win high-level basketball games, getting put in extremely pressured situations and having to do the thing that you're best at most often or just finding ways to win. This is like, you know, the ability to focus after timeouts. This is remembering the play that, you know, uh, that was drawn up at halftime and, and, you know, making tweaks to it. This is, you know, internalizing uh, uh, counters to, to defensive reads. Like, this is the stuff that we would consider, like, I think when people talk about playoff basketball, this is sort of what they mean, the high level, real got to make it happen stuff. Um, and if there's not a, like every player has a balance of those things, you know, I, there are a lot of players who need more technical work. There's players who need much more like loose play. Um, like I think the Thompsons are a great example of the players who do really need the experimental phase um, to, to try new things. Um, and then you have players who like need a ton of game reps like that the thing that that moves their development forward is just execution is trying to turn you know the trying to turn what they can do into like what they do all the time and there is an individual balance for every archetype and within that there's an individual balance for every player and to me paulo looks like a player who did a lot of block training he looked like a guy who worked on a lot of jabs who worked on a lot of side steps and just his feel his processing speed was turned down um, because he did not have the ideal uh, balance of of uh, developmental you know uh, contexts because the pandemic closed down the West Coast, he could not play high level basketball, not without you know moving across the country, being away from his family, um, and for two years, uh, you can play you can play like high level pickup against NBA dudes, but it, you cannot replicate the actual high level basketball feeling. It's not about the competition level; it's about the emotions and the patterns that come from playing games that matter. Um, being in a crowd that like there's one guy who's chirping at you, and he's like yelling out your phone number, and you have to be like, okay, I don't know how he knows that, but like I do have to execute the sticks and roll coverage perfectly. I'm gonna figure that problem out later. Um, and like that's just stuff that doesn't happen. It, it can't happen in other environments. That's you know, it, it's unique value. So. I think with with Paolo, the thing that I'm really struck by is, is how little or the, the level of discomfort that the draft community has at large and just basketball in general um, with discussing the reality of, of how the, the pandemic has impacted the players, the, the people who are going to be in our game for, for dozens of years and asking hard questions and sitting with hard philosophical questions about what we've lost. Um, it affects different people. Um, it affects different states. It affects different archetypes. And if we don't engage with that, if we don't ask those questions, if we don't look upon ourselves and say, like, I'll come willing to, to like, deal with this thing that's not particularly pleasant um, because it's going to, to make a meaningful difference. If you look at Paolo and be like, yeah, he just like forgot how to make hollow roots. 
Um, like one, I don't really believe that. I don't think that's something you just magically get worse at. Um, but two, it, it sort of shows that like this, that you view basketball as a reprieve from real life. And so like, these are, uh, these are pixels on a screen. These are experiences beyond yourself instead of being like, this is a person, this is a person who's had experiences and, and the best thing that you can do uh, for the game is to try to understand people and their experiences as deeply as possible. And, and from there is where uh, insight flows. So to me, I think a lot of the conversation about Paolo is a conversation about real life and a conversation about like what his actual experiences are. Um, because from there, you probably get a better picture of like why some of these freshmen just have not been good. Um, because so many of the little things they're just not used to, or they could not get a, a, a simulacrum of in, in, uh, when they were in isolation or they simply lost important developmental time. Like, I'm not saying that everybody is Wiseman, but like people are more similar to Wiseman in terms of lost time than they are similar to any other year. And to treat, like, we're so good at treating everything else like it's not normal. Like, we know that our lives are not what they used to be in, in 2019 and early, you know, and 2020 and shit. But like, with this, we can't pretend that the old way works because this is not the old times. Like, this is now and we have to make those adjustments and that's going to require some difficult conversations. I do think the people in the space are strong enough and and are uh, insightful enough to do so. It just requires a different mindset. Dude, well, awesome points. I just couldn't help myself from coming. Mark, I know you're a big Wire fan. I think, PD, I think you are as well. The Slim Charles quote, the thing about the old days, they the old days. Um, so I just, that popped into my head. And basically what you're getting at is Paulo, and this is what I agreed, and Mark, I'm not sure how much of the pre-college Paulo you were able to watch, but basically you get two different players and you're dealing with two different opposite ends of the spectrum as P noted, PD noted with the guy we're talking about who played up with Seattle Rotary on the UIBL and then the guy who played with BFL in the grand session. And with one, you're it's this ultra big Paul George-esque kind of player in the shots that he took. A lot of sidesteps, a lot of stutter, like a lot of stutter rips, a lot of technical stuff using strength and getting to the rim, but all self-creation, no post-ups, no sort of put aside all the stuff you previously had done. And one, I respect that. And two, it's good that he had the space to do that, but then tailoring back and working all the other stuff back into your game is like PD was saying, you get a lot of those catch and holds. Like that was the thing that stood out for me. And that's what Mark and I talked about at length early in the season with Paulo, not even the misreads and not being able to throw these live triples passes that I expected him to. It was every time the ball swung to him, it seemed like he needed to think for a second and a half. If, Oh, where do I go? What move am I going to? Which jab sequence am I going to use here? Am I going to be able to get to my setback? Am I going to put, walk this guy down to the mid to low post? Like these were all things that you could see were going through his head and he just wasn't making decisions quickly enough. That is slowly fizzling out as a problem for me. He is becoming much better at that as we get into ACC play, which is very encouraging. And I think brings us to the next part of the discussion, which is the creation and and the ways in which they are creating offense for themselves and for others and Jabari and Paulo are very different here a lot of their touches start in the mid post and mid-range so that is where they're similar but the ways in which they attack defenses are very different Mark I want to give you the floor on this one and just kind of identify where they are similar where they're different and what it means projection wise yeah well first I do want to hit on what PD said um that point cannot be hit on enough like I think uh, I don't know. Sometimes I have a tendency to, to go too much in the direction of being like, you know, 
I watch a lot, but I know little. Um, I think, I mean, that's just how I try and approach things and in, in, in looking at stuff. But even more this year and this past year, as everything has changed, like especially with guys coming up on 10 days in the NBA or we're seeing bench players play up more in different roles in ways that we just have never seen before because of the pandemic. Like very obviously, like I think as much as the NBA and basketball at large has tried to shirk it and make it seem like, oh, this is us, you know, over like like surmounting uh difficult odds like treating it like it's you know somebody having an injury or something or not like less that like oh this guy you know the pandemic's just the bone bruise you know that's why that's why paul george isn't playing right now or that's why jimmy butler's not playing right now um it's fundamentally changed up player development um it, it in all facets and, and stages um and i am interested to see how things go over the next year or two and like pd said like especially when looking at more just prospects in general, we have to take things differently and, and look at it realistically too. So um, that's what I'll add on that. In terms of looking at Jabari and Paolo, um, to put it delicately, like I just don't feel very much as similar about them, if that makes sense. Like other than the fact that they're both 6'10 and play in the Eastern United States uh, in Division One basketball, I'm not sure how much I would say I, I feel is similar about them. Um, they largely operate from different areas. Like I think you could, you could point to, you know, I mean, they do do stuff out of the post, but for different reasons. Um, like I, I think Powell is a wildly different passer. I would just say I view Powell's ability to self-create for others is uh, at a, just a completely different multiple tiers above where I, I view Jabari right now. And I don't mean as a knock, that's just being honest. Um, I mean, Jabari is potentially the best shooter in the draft, especially when you're factoring in size. Um, that's, I mean, Powell has shown shooting versatility, but that's definitely different. I actually am very excited to talk about them defensively because I have more questions than I think I do answers about where they're at defensively. They're just very different players. Like one player, like, I mean, especially looking at Paolo, like Paolo eats on the inside and that is the opposite for Jabari. Like Jabari is a player who um, currently has a lot of issues just in getting to the interior. Part of that is his team and um, surrounding context, but also like he has a lot of stuff that we're going to dive into that um, makes it difficult for him to get to the interior and, and to create on the inside there. Um, so I think as far as, starting off that would probably be uh that, that that would be uh my my quick intro on both of them i think that it gets to something that like i've kind of been obsessed with over the past 18 months is like the four position isn't anything like it's just more of a gesture at this mm -hmm. point like a lot of times the four is the last thing filled out in a developmental context like you can it, it is sort of the determinant but it's also sort of the catch-all um, and if this seems sort of opaque, that's because it is. Um, I feel like a lot of times fours get screwed developmentally because they're just asked to be the players who fit to whatever space they're being inclined. And it's like, oh, we drafted a, a post-up five. You have to stretch out more. Or like, oh, we drafted a shooting four or we drafted a shooting five. You now have to, you know, be a playmaker. And I think it damages quite a few uh, fours because they're asked to be jacks of all trades and not knowing what you're going to do on any particular possession. Um, doesn't work for every developmental or processing style. Um, and so like, I think that they're similar and they're both like what we would consider fours, but they're also like basically like, one is a 3.5 and one's a four offensively. 
and they're just opposite sides of a combo coin. Um, they exist between roles and their similarity is like they do have a, a, a lot of versatility and sort of play like they have different bodies. Like they, they, they both play like they are closer to like the, the five, like for, for Paolo plays more like a, a modern five, Jabari plays more like a modern three. It's just that they both also happen to be about six ten. Um, and like a four is just what you call it when somebody can't play the five, but you don't necessarily want them to run pick and roll. That's a four. That's like 60% of the league. Um, and every other position has some pretty like hard and fast rules about what you can't do. Or like, to, like you're no longer a point guard if like you don't make reads or, you know, uh, every time you touch it, the ball goes out. Like, but there's no way to not be a four. It's, it's extremely difficult to be four size to be not considered a four. So I think that that's like most of the, I think this is a lens with which if you like how positionality or, or how like the positional revolution is kind of a lie, um, which is just that, like you took all those duties that like people no longer have to have and gave them to the forum, like figure it out, kid. Um, and like it's made developments like, you know, Pat Williams, extremely complicated. Um, so like it's also difficult because like both of them do really specific things. And like, I don't think that like the Thad young version of, of Paolo is going to come around this year, which is like the version that I was pretty familiar or was the version I was expecting. Um, and like the Paul George one um, seems like pretty ingrained. Um, also shout out hot bread for teaching him that stutter rip. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, every time he does it, just like part of my heart sings. Um, um, so like, I think that Jabari is a wing and like should not be considered for Um which also makes like some of his creation stuff very, very positive, but we also can't grade it on a scale. If he's just a wing, then like difficult conversations had to be have, have to be had about like what you put next to him at two different positions uh, before on the five, um, as well as like some of those things, some of his like positives, which is like, Oh, his handle is nice four or four. Oh, his passing is nice enough four or four now become like four or three or for a primary wing. Like, or a secondary wing, like what exactly is this? And I think that like a lot of the four conversation is sort of the, the difficulty or, or the difficulty in, in assessing skill development and being like, what do I actually believe about how much I can develop passing for a wing? How much do I actually believe about how much flexibility or weight gain are possible and, and what those development tracks look like? Because those are really difficult conversations. Um, and I think that that's like what I've been most excited about for this class is, is talking about those elements with these two specific guys. Um, and I think that like, this is going to be a year that's much closer to my, like, I hate big boards year, um, where it's like, there's most likely not going to be a number one, like a true number one. And we can sort of do the horse race thing, which like, uh, I think is like somebody is going to have to go number one. And, and like, that does have to be done, you know, for, for a lot of people who do mock drafts and stuff like that, though I do not envy their jobs. Um, that's just a reality of, of them producing you know work. But like, if you don't have to do that, like you don't have to, build a big board you can think about like well what what skill development setup would i favor chet in more what what offense would i like to what offense would you have to run to have jabari number one what offense would you have to run to have you know johnny davis number one what uh what would i have to believe about um intrinsic scoring for ajg to be number one like i think there's so many cases and and instead of being like this is a year that like the draft sucks which i mean like to be fair it sort of does but like I've talked about in the piece, I think there are some reasons for that. Um, so if a guy is, is like, has had a really tough year and was an RICI guy and also happened to have be, you know, be from a place where 
they didn't play basketball for a long time. Maybe just like hold steady on on declaring them, you know, uh, absolutely completely screwed. Um, but we're going to have some, we're going to have, be able to be in a place to have some really interesting conversations about what it is we truly believe about prospects and what we believe about development, um, what we believe about situations and what we believe about value structures. And this is going to be fascinating, like because like if you view Jabari as a wing, like how do you view his creation? Like, if you only consider him a wing, I don't really buy it as a wing um, <clears throat> outside the shooting. I would say I buy him. He gets his spots and that he's comfortable with and he's comfortable rising up, but I was going to dip into the passing a little bit and the sheer creation and drawing defense. And I think that is something that we talk about a lot in passing. And it was something we talked about with Chet on our last episode. Paulo is going to draw multiple defenders. Uh, he's done it or he does it at college consistently. He's done it in the past whether it's a post double or he's initiating at the mid post and he's getting to that starter rip or getting by his man with a jab, his handle is functional for a four. And I'm comfortable saying that for a four because you can play him there on both ends. And I trust Paulo to draw rotations and draw the defense, not to mention that he's a better legit passer than uh, Jabari. His process is a lot better. He's way more high feel in my opinion. And the thing that I do worry with Jabari as a wing and we're sliding him into that spot, which I don't, completely disagree with and i think he's going to have to play some three for sure in the league is i think as pd mentioned everything kind of gets evaluated on a tougher scale like it's really cool when you're four but now when you're three and you're being compared to all these other wings that can dribble a little bit and can actually beat the defense off of the standstill everything becomes a little bit more difficult and i think the passing is like the easiest thing for me to point to uh, is as being behind the curve when you compare it to wings the handle is fine for his game um, he can get to his he can get to the elbow he can get to a mid-range and he rises up over everyone and the shooting might be that special we're going to talk about that later but in terms of passing and creation for three i start to become a little bit overwhelmed i'm a little bit underwhelmed in contrast to when I think about him as someone I'm using as a pick and pop guy or running off some off ball screens, again, as a four, uh, it, the whole image gets starts to get a little bit diluted, but I definitely worry about the passing and handling a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, um, in terms of like, it's not even for, to me, it's, it's not even about positions. Like I, I agree entirely. Like when, when factoring in that he probably is just a wing, like, and I don't mean it as a bad way, but just, you know, in terms of rethinking where we're at with him, um, I think more just in looking intrinsically at what he is as a prospect right now, like his mode to becoming a very high level self-creator has to have like it, the thresholds that he needs to hit to actually be as viable to do creator things with the kind of usage that you imagine him carrying or if you're countering it with like okay well what what is Paolo doing like I think I can view Paolo right now and what he does as a creator in the half court as something that you can translate to the NBA and being viable towards winning basketball um, and I don't mean this just to say like I think Jabari is a chucker or anything like that but it's just you have to be so freaking good at hitting mid post jumpers and being able to like, he, he would still have to develop as, as a passer from there. Cause even now, like he, he's not great at hitting stuff. If he does get doubled, um, like he will see things, but he sees them late. And even if he does hit them, he's not super comfortable making passes, especially on the move, actually making things happen. Getting downhill is a whole other story. Um, like the handle is really good from a standstill, but his legs just are not in sync with his handle at all. 
when he starts going downhill. And I think like not to draw again, it's not comparisons, but it's like looking at somebody like Darius Baisley right now is where I view Jabari and currently where his um where his coordination is with his 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 handle and his body. Like it is very off. Uh he shoots with a different hand than he dribbles with, which isn't like I don't know if I want to say that that's completely detrimental, but like I think you can see real issues with that when he is trying to make things happen off the drive. Um, it's just there are a lot of things that would have to go to a, a much higher level than they're at right now for me to say that I view Jabari as somebody who's going to be a high-level self-creator. What would have to functionally change like what are the what are learning for that what is the thing you feel like is most likely to change for him to be a high level software um i mean i will say like i think he is one of the two or well, i don't i don't want to put a number on it but like he is one of the best shooters in the draft and he like especially like when you are factoring his size like he's capable of doing some stuff off movement he can he can set a back screen set a spain action come off and actually hit those shots like he's comfortable doing things off a variety of movements he cannot do like he cannot step to his right. It, that's actually an issue that started to pop up. Like LSU did a really good job of playing his left hand, and he loves doing an escape dribble to his left or just taking one step to his left. And LSU completely played into that. He still hit shots, but you can see teams are starting to figure that out and try and force him into tougher things. He's not great dribbling to his right if he has to uh, take a you know if he has to escape dribble right like it's. It's not good for him. So there's stuff that he still has to figure out as a shooter. But in terms of, you know, being a screener, doing things that allow him to um, impact the flow of the offense and still be um, and use his gravity as a shooter. Like I, I see that. But like, again, you have to be hitting such a high level as a shooter um, and then building off of what your handle is. If you're going to be running pick and rolls or, or doing things that um, I would view as self-creation. So are you, Peter, are you talking about him as like a standstill creator or just being entrusted I mean, with any on-ball stuff? I mean, if you're just looking at, if you're saying, okay, this guy has to be a, a primary or secondary and he's a wing, like what is the, what is the low-hanging fruit that you feel like? I do not think he should be a primary. I'll just be completely right. I'm just being like, but I'm saying if you are, if, if that is the, if that is the, the, uh, the prompt in front of you, like what would have to I think it's, for me, it would have to be how you, get him the ball like what happens before he touches it because I don't really trust him off of a standstill right now um and unless I think the handle would have to take another leap which look it I think that's difficult but how who am I to rule out any type of development for a certain prospect but if we're working with the foundation that we have now I would get I would have to get creative in how we get him the ball and how we get him his touches and shifting the defense as much as possible before he touches it would be a big thing. Um, running him up and downs, as I think Mark mentioned, um, getting him in any type of screener action, because I trust him to hit ridiculously tough jump shots. Like I do have no issues about the jumper right now. I think he's the best shooter in the class. And I don't think it's particularly close when you factor in all the ways he's getting them off. Um, so I would just leverage that as much as possible and then play out of it that's his biggest strength right now. And I think he has some issues physically where that be getting downhill and accelerating. Uh, the frame is sort of slender. So I don't really trust him to win with physicality, even if it is against wings, it would more just be leverage the shooting as much as possible before he touches it. And then when he does get the ball, make them pay with short decisive drill moves and user height. Yeah. Well, I mean, he already operates out of the mid post a lot, 
but I think a lot of it would be just quickening some of the moves that he does get to. Like, he does have a pretty nice rip through. Um, but the problem is, like, he does not have really – I don't want to say he doesn't have any burst, but in terms of actually being able to combine his handle with any kind of burst to get himself downhill, it's just not there often. Um, so I do think, like, he showed some really interesting stuff in the Alabama game, just quickening his rip through from the mid post. Um, and I liked that in terms of just shorten the distance that it actually takes for him to get to the rim. He's big, very limmy. So like, that's a great way to draw free throws. I think that I, like, I know that sometimes there's an aversion just saying, oh, we'll get somebody going towards the rim. I like the idea of this guy is big, get him towards the rim. He's going to have to figure out counters obviously. And it's not that sim- it's not as simple as putting it like that, but I do think that's, that's a way to look at it. But then you're asking, okay, well, can this guy become somebody who we can, just exacerbate his scoring gravity and uh, try and iron out as many mechanical reads as possible. Like, but then, then again, you're like, okay, well, I don't know if, like, I know that the whole thing is like the prompt in front of you, but I just, that's asking a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, and then this sort of gets to, to like my overall, I want to say criticism because like, I, I feel like there's going to be a, a read of the conversation that we're having right now. That's like, I'm lower on Jabari, which isn't like true. It's it's that like, I think that there are segments of, I think that Jabari is a, um, are you guys soccer fans? Like, like, have you ever seen like Opta's like radars? No, I haven't. Um, okay, sorry. so like, so basically, so basically it's just like, it's a, it's a radio plot and um, like Messi, they, they have like 15 stats surrounding it. And so like Messi, oh, it's just I know like, what you're talking he's about. just like, yes. off the okay, yeah. it's just like, he covers the entire thing. Yeah. And then like there's guys who are extremely good, but like they're very like they have jagged edges, or it's like I do this thing extraordinarily yes. well. This other thing I don't do. And just that I think that after having a a class of Cade and um, and to some degree like uh, uh, Suggs and 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 Mobley, who are just like kind of good at like everything, like not to the extreme levels. Like I'm not comparing those two events, but like they had a, a a like a protein quality where it's like you can kind of deploy them any way you feel, you might have a stronger impulse of like, some people probably believe that Mobley should be initiating more, myself included. Um, other people saw him more as like a, a long-term play finisher, which is like throw them off and see what happens. Um, but like, you could kind of deploy them however you want. And I think Jabari is a much sharper radar than than a lot of other guys, um, like even more so, more so than Chet. And my impulse is, is, is that like after a year where we had guys who did so many like things at an extremely high level to have Jari, Jabari who has these really specific high level skills that need to be catered to um, because some of the connective tissue, um, the connective skills isn't there yet. And that viewing him as a four and that that position will naturally solve it, which is sort of the opposite of how that position works now. Um, I think is, is, is a recipe for, for putting too much expectations on him. Um, I also like, I don't really know how much I actually want him operating up in the post. And like, if you're viewing him as a wing, like the elephant in the room is that he's like a very poor passer, right? Um, and the, like the combination of him and Kessler is is very positive on the defensive end, but on the offensive end, they can't really create anything easy for each other because they're both negative passers for the position. Um, and so like a lot of their like times that one is open, they can't quite get it. And I think this does actually hurt uh, both of their rim numbers. Um, I, I would say that like Jabari is a better finisher than like I think Bart has him at like seventy percent of the rim. I think he's actually better than that. There's just a lot of opportunities he can't quite get because the passes aren't either like arriving at the right time or arriving at the right location. 
Um, and it's just, you know, the relationship of, of, of skills on top of each other. Um, but that being said, like looking at Jabari's breakdowns uh, of shot type, like it's pretty easy to see, like he's awesome uh, in, you know, he's awesome three year line. Uh, uh, he's an awesome three point shooter, great around the rim. And then like non layup twos are like really tough. And I think that you can view that as like, oh yeah, well he likes the fadeaway and and he's a little bit skinny. But it's also like if you want him as a wing, like don't you want him shooting over people and recognizing that that's a pretty low uh, expected value shot? Just like giving him a bunch of those isn't necessarily a, a wise choice. Um, it's also like it's really easy to bring help from the mid post against wings. As a five, it's a little bit harder. Um, and yes, he has like the size advantage to be able to see over a defense, but like it's going to be the size advantage is going to be smaller in the NBA than it is in college. And he's really struggled in college as a passer, um, especially in the half court. I think that there's like really nice flashes of what he can do full court. Like he, he tried the LeBron over the head bounce pass, um, which is probably like my favorite pass in the entire world. The, we call it the Thor pass because it's like you're throwing the, the hammer uh, on the ground. But like in the half court, I think that he is a little bit hesitant. I think that he misses windows. And I think this is just like a little bit too fast for him right now. And so I think that I wouldn't necessarily want him operating out of the mid post just because that is so many reads to throw at somebody. Usually you'll have like a Princeton set or you know, four or five cutters. And that's just a lot to churn for a guy who's, you know, growing into wingness. And if we're looking at a model for that, like young Paul George, who like absolutely did not have a handle. Again, like to me, Paul George's handle development is – the best skill development of like the modern NBA. Um, nobody has gone farther with a more difficult skill um, than Paul George when handled from the time that I like first saw him like uh, as like a freshman at Fresno State to now, um, considering just like how big that dude is. Like the way that he was used both at Fresno State and uh, in his early years in Indiana would be a good reference point. And Jabari is a better shooter than Paul is at the same age. So like, I think that he requires a, a deployment both in terms of lever, like of, of like solving for the passing skills and building environments where he can build them out, knowing that he doesn't necessarily have like a quickness advantage to get to the rim super easily. And that a lot of his skill advantages are just mostly like leveraging the shooting. Um, it's, it's sort of like the, I think that there have been a lot of prospects who have had this general archetype, but just haven't been as good. Um, and the NBA, this is an archetype the NBA loves. It's just one that does require a, bit more uh, um, like thinking about fit, thinking about allocation of roles around him, um, especially finding a, a, somebody who will get him a volume of shots and use him really creatively. Um, but like, I think Jabari is somebody who there are so many outcomes for, for offensive value. Um, and this is like, obviously not even getting to the defense stuff, but just like the creation pathways, I think have to be thought about as a wing, thought about in terms of his relative skill. And also just like, how many threes do you want him to take? Because, like, I would argue it's more than how many he's shooting now. Because I don't think that there's a – if you are the level of shooter that, shooter that Jabari is, there is not kind of an upper limit on that. Like, the, there is so much value. I swear to everyone who's listening to this, I have, like, 100 pages on this. It's almost like 30,000 words on, on the, the upper ceiling of shooting and, and, and how movement shooting can be deployed. But, like – and I swear it's coming out soon. I just needed – needs a little bit more polish um but like there's not an upper limit if you're not if you are an astounding shooter but like what other people will consider bad shots are actually like almost mediocre shots um and and like Steph has pushed this at times um and like uh, even like Novak has pushed this at times it's just like when you're 6'10 like take all those like why not 
Um, sure, you're just going to, to displace some of those like mid post jumpers, but like, are you going to tell me that those are so foundational to his offensive approach that the balance doesn't shift out and maybe getting smaller guys on him makes that stuff more attainable? That like if they have to run around screens all the time, if he has to shoot off like deep range, if he has to shoot out of these like pretty nuts jabs, uh, that you maybe put a 6'6 dude on him and maybe the, the post fadeaway from 16 feet works better against a 6'6 dude. I just think that like this requires a bit more thinking than the drag and drop experience that we had with the 2021 class. Yeah, I agreed on all points and especially the three point volume. I, that was kind of what I was going to get into because I do want to talk about the shooting with regards to Jabari and Paulo. Starting with Jabari, there is there should be no limit. Uh, he is a ridiculously good three point shooter for his size. He doesn't get bothered. He can get him off the bounce. He can get him off the catch. I absolutely love his mechanics. The, his shot prep is great. It flows right into it. Super high release, just like textbook for a 6'10 shooter. And like you should just hone in on all of that stuff, especially early. I do want to talk about Paulo's shooting because I do find that this has been a little bit underrated for him in the midst of Jabari. I am by no means comparing him to Jabari. Like Jabari's shooting is a skill that is as good, that might be good enough to just cover up all the flaws that we've been talking about. Like it might be that good. And that's part of, that's the- I would say it's, I would say it's mostly that good. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, like Jabari in a lot of ways is the shooter that like a lot of the guys in the teens were supposed to be. Like the theory of, of Caleb, the theory of Max Christie, we're all like kind of being not this level of shooter, but like essentially this style of shooter and Jabari's ended up being it. And like, it's not entirely unprecedented. Like a lot of his high school shooting numbers are, are very, very good, but there's just, it's hard to say any 610 guy is like above 40% on like real ass attempts and like real versatility. That's just like a bar that if you, if you're like, Hey, this is what's happening. People are gonna be like, you should go think about what that actually means because what you're describing is a player who's so valuable like he kind of he's at he's at 45 he's at 45 yeah. right now yeah so oh, yeah. like and i'm he's like not i'm underselling for yeah yeah and it's not like uh this isn't a he's taken 19 threes like and he's like it's a foundational part of what he's doing and like some of them are pretty well challenged and it but at no point does this feel unsustainable like 45 is nuts like it may you know jump down to 39 but like 39 is still way above what you would expect with a very good shooter at this volume for a freshman yeah so jabari we can say it's our blue in the face the shooting is absolutely nuts and as pd said probably is good enough to band-aid or at least and this is what i would say is most important give him time to feel out all the other issues and still hold value and still be able to get his game off while he's working out all the little kinks that we ironed out so that's kind of well and well and universally agreed on with jabari with paulo I've been impressed by the shooting stuff. His footwork and versatility from deep has been really impressive. He has some bad misses, and I do want to like incorporate that, whether it be like a short miss air ball where he just grazes the rim or sometimes can shoot a hard ball when it comes off the rim. But more times than not, I've walked away pretty impressed, and the numbers show that Paulo is being very effective on long twos and threes. And especially for that size. And I do think it is very much worth noting that he is finding ways to work in the wide uh, autonomy he was given with BFL last year and just the no restrictions and the blue light that he was given and is now figuring out how to rein that into 
playing real basketball in the ACC and the returns, he had a couple step backs against Wake and just the things and the flashes that he's been able to do, I think deserve a little bit more talking. And I think in part, they're just getting a little bit swept under the rug because everyone's talking about how good of a shooter Jabari is and rightfully so he is absolutely incredible. Not, not saying this takeaway from Jabari in any sense, but I do want to sort of shine a closer light on Paolo's shooting, which I think deserves a little bit more conversation. Can I zoom in on something really quick before we dive into the shooting, which is like, there's not many prospects who have as different of uh, pre-college archetypes. Like, even, like Caleb is like the one that we talk about all the time. And like, it's not even that different. Like his two roles with Montverde were like corner shooter who played defense. And then with team Canada, it was like primary, but like mostly just like primary, go get a bucket. It wasn't like, I don't shoot. I have to like be the guy who passes every single time. It was like, I'm the primary scorer here. What is the midpoint between Thad Young and Paul George? Like, how do you blend those two together? Like, I don't mean that as like, oh, he's the blend of these two guys. I mean, like, in terms of like, if you were to say, take the play style of these two dudes, how, like, what does that look like? Like, my brain sort of did the internet noise from 1997 because like I don't know how you would functionally blend those two like you don't like okay so this time you're going to attack up handle and sometimes you're going to be off ball but catching it and then attacking it tilted defense like it's it is extremely difficult to blend so disparate of play styles especially being lauded for both like sometimes like people have disparate play styles or one of them is just like super inefficient it's what you had to do to like win at a public school and then like you have a better role on like a you know a a you know a a, sneak, a, a circuit team and like that's what people are like we'll draft you if you do this but not if you do that this is one of those like there are people who like both versions really like both versions how do you blend them together and it's not like duke is like a super clean fit for either like one whatever that would be duke is not a clean fit for that and two like duke is also difficult for both of those versions because like it's a it's a pretty weird roster with all which also has another like lottery pick that like sometimes doesn't play other times starts um and and just had you know his own feel and adaptation issues um and we just have a lot of uh we have a lot of really odd um like expectations with him so when you say like the, the jumper is is you know a little behind or or you know not as good like to me it's more the like He's a cogent. Like I didn't get the feeling that he was doing one thing for one lineup and another thing for another lineup. Like it, it, like he is trying to blend those two things. The passing is still far behind where I would expect it to be. But like, I'm seeing somebody try to square that circle, and that's very inspiring. My brain would have broke. So shout out to him on that, um, because even considering it, I spent a long time on mute, just being like, "What does this player look like?" And I am now realizing that the answer was like Killian Tilly if he never got hurt. Uh, because shout out to Killian Tilly before the injuries. Uh, those permanent numbers are truly wild. Um, so I think that like Paolo shooting to me is is good. The allocation of it is the thing that like I can kind of struggle with. Like, what is the best shot distribution for him? I would probably oh, want as I. I mean, I want most of it at the rim because I do think. Well, has, I mean, like shooting, shooting, not like. Oh, like you're saying. Stuff. Yeah, like shot. Not, okay, like like you're talking jumpers. 
Yeah, like jumpers, push shots, like things that are outside the rim. I think we all understand that he's going to get a certain amount of jump stop or jumps, uh, like a certain amount of like ripplers to get to the cup or, or baby hooks or whatever. But like, you know, things uh, beyond I'm, six feet. I mean, I'm comfortable with him. Obviously, I want to see him expand and take as many threes as he feels comfortable with. I'm comfortable with him taking mid-range jumpers because I'm I'm confident and comfortable with his self-creation. Like he has created real space. Uh, There are definitely times where he forces it and I would try to limit. I think the, I think he forces it most on like those push shots outside the hat, like outside, right outside the lane towards the hash. I think that's where he just settles the most. He's had plenty of stutter or we reference the rip all the time, stutter rip, regular rip, reverse jab, whatever you want to call it into across or step back and creating real space on mid ranges. I'm cool with that shot. Like I don't want it to be your main diet, but I'm very cool with him working that in. I do. I would like to cut out, as I said, the contested fadeaway jumpers or push shot runners when he's attacking from the perimeter. I think that's where he starts to force things. But if we're talking about him initiating at the mid to low post and he wants to turn into a little floater, cool with that. When he's square and rising up, I trust the touch. But if we're talking about jumpers when he's operating as a creator, I would want a lot of threes and mid-range jumpers. I think kind of what makes me so intrigued about Paolo um, is that, well, like you mentioned about the blending PD, like the idea of him as an amalgamous creator off-ball player is what I find so intriguing about him and want to see in the NBA uh, because just watching the Miami game this morning and going back through and looking at some stuff like um, and I'll get to the shot distribution in a minute but like I want him to get all of that like I want him to get opportunities to see what that looks like because watching like again watching him in the Miami game is where I felt like everything just started to click like he had uh, that just the absolutely vicious stutter rip three um, earlier in the game and then parlayed that into a high pick and roll with Mark Williams that ended up being a give and go for just extremely easy finish at the rim because of what he was. He, I mean, he, he made Miami scared of him shooting. Like obviously gravity is something like, like, like you've written about, like it's something that you earn from the defense. Um, it's not something that you just have or that you just make, you can't just gravity. You can't just space like, how the defense guards you is, is what happens because of, of what you're capable of doing and what they respect. Um, so seeing Powell able to do those things is what makes me want to see more of that. So I like, I'm with Jake. I want to see him shoot more. Um, I want to see more self-created threes um, because I think that's where you're getting the most value potentially. Um, and I want to see him like something that Jake and I have talked about multiple times, like, and it's just not going to happen because it's the context, but um like, I want to see him get a, like used as a role, man, used more as a screener, used more. Okay. Can you be a pick and pop big and run things off of that? Like, can you be somebody who becomes that level of the shooter where if they're that worried about you shooting, are you able to create more opportunities for you going downhill and creating from there? Like, I think um, I'm not as into, like, I, I don't know. It's tough because he has incredible footwork. He has the incredible strength, the size uh, and touch to really finish everything off. But I don't know how much I really want him necessarily creating from, from mid range or from, um, from the mid post. Like I, I do think there are ways where you could get his, his playmaking out of there. Um, but the idea of him expanding his game out and seeing the court from, from the perimeter, that's where I'm most intrigued with him. I 
I mean, I think that one of the natural comparisons for Paolo uh, is is uh, Kansas State Beasley, um, just because like there's not many dudes that are as big as Paolo who like get to a bucket as much as Paolo does. Um, but like the difference is like Beasley lived on those like four foot push shots. You would put somebody in front of the rim and you just like flip it in over you. And like I agree with Jake, those are the exact ones I don't like. I think that that's when you look at like his energy breakdown numbers, I think a lot of his post-up numbers are partially those. And that's what I think is keeping him from being like very good or like I would say higher than like 80th, 85th percentile in that category. So they sort of like flips that like, it's not a touch thing. It's just like, I think it's more of an approach thing. It's like, I just don't think this is the way that I would like him to have like, it's not the shot itself. It's like the last two strides trying to avoid that situation because I think defenses really live with it because the passing, which we've seen prior, like can make stuff happen. And a lot of times that's the, that is the preferred ending of the defense. And even if he was fantastic at them, I think that just, there's not necessarily a counter out of it, which is what Beasley learned in the NBA. Those teams are just like, okay, yeah, like make that at a 99 percentile clip. Like if that's how you get 40, that's how you get 40. But like, we're not giving up these corner threes. We're not giving up like, or make, make a read. Um, you know, on, on this two versus one we said, and I think that he can let the defense off easy there. And I think that just changing that process around a little bit, and whether it's limiting them a touch or, or changing the floor into them. Um, I think that's the, the area that I'm most curious about because I think it does play into some of his, his passing difficulty. And, and the other thing that I'm like curious about with him is, is how much of these mid range jumpers are him kind of hitting the like, here's what we're doing button. Like there's just times where I feel like he's making moves that like the defense isn't demanding. Like it's not, it's not the appropriate response and they still work because he can create that kind of space. And like, that's a testament to the amount of, but like, it doesn't feel right. And this is sort of what I talked about the idea of like the overtraining balance um, where I just like, I think that there's that as his game gets more simple, that a lot of the space creation stuff will get better because he just has more ability to, when he plays simple, get more out of those moments because he has he can leverage the strength. He can get to to these fadeaways. And he's like the, the low of the low center of gravity, the big strides laterally, and the like skill based counters are a really tough combination. Just times feel like he throws too many counters out there, uh, and he makes life a little bit more difficult for himself. Um, whether that's because things are a little bit fast for him right now. And I do, th- I do agree that they're slowing down that Wake Forest game and the Miami game before it are um, some pretty intense stuff. Uh, if, especially if you're lower on Jabari uh, or, or lower on Paolo, uh, just relative to Jabari, which relative in general. Um, and I think that like, those are the ones that are like, okay, so if he's a 4.5 and we can like use him as an offensive five and get like, you know, a really bouncy guy to play, you know, the overtop help scheme, like this seems kind of feasible because like you can't really cover him with the five. And there are a lot of dudes who can shoot corner threes and do rim running and like will protect the rim. Like that, that seems to be an architect DMB can find pretty easily. Um, like, I mean, can, would you be interested in like Paolo Chris Boucher as a, as a pairing? Like that to me, that's like, again, I try to think of like, what is a thing that is available for like two second round picks or, or whatever around the league. And like, if that's pretty easy, then the archetype makes sense. Like, he, I think going to the top shelf um, at times, it's just like a yeah, talent will win eventually. But like, how easy is it to find that that particular blending archetype where like the 
the four and the five that you would put next to, to Jabari is just more difficult because there's more variables. But also, like, I just don't think that those players are as easily available um, because now we're talking about, like, getting a playmaking four and probably a spacing five or a playmaking and spacing four and then a five who, like, knows how to get out of the way. And, like, again, not things that are just laying around necessarily um, because you have, to have, you have to hit on both of them and, you know, there's going to be a limited amount based on, you know, how good the five is or, or how good the four is at sliding down. Um, able to able to, to move Jabari around and give him the versatility schematically that I think uh, his development demands. So I just think that there's a bit more um, institutional investment that's going to have to be made in, in, in Jabari in the first couple of years to give him all of, give him as many pathways to development because like, again, he could develop in some unique ways, um, but the requirements to, to, to lay out those pathways, to, to prepare the path like for him so that he can, you know, uh, he can figure out what works best for him and, and you know, where the, the skill development goes is just more intensive because like, it's just a harder road. And that's not to say he's the worst prospect. It's just like, not everybody, not everybody can get there. Not everybody can build their roster in that way or can uh, make their cap work or whatever. And that's, if that's the separator for taking Jabari one or, or, um, or Chet one or, or, or Paolo one or any of the, the guys who, you know, would make sense in that spot. Like, I think that makes for a really interesting draft. And like, to me, that's way cooler than there being like a clear number one who we just like fawn out for, for a full year. It's like, that's great. But like, those aren't fun discussions. Those aren't actually, you know, laying out what you believe in and, and what the, the evidence is for it, which is like, you know, actually trying to learn about what this is. It's like, are we trying to be right? Or are we trying to be good? And I feel like this is, this is tending more towards the direction of like really learning what we believe more of. Yeah, I do want to transition a little bit towards the defense because I think Jabari's fit as a wing on the defensive end is more seamless than the offensive end. I, yes. Despite the otherworldly shooting, I think his lateral quickness, which is his best trade on defense, is pushed to the forefront and the lack of vertical athleticism and lack of secondary rim protection, whatever, we can kind of push that to the side for now, at least, because I do want to praise him for how good he is laterally and his ability to slide with guys that are smaller than him and quicker and just keep up with them and then engulf them with length once they get inside the paint. It's very impressive. And sliding him down to guard six, 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 seven, six, eight wings, I am very comfortable with that. Yeah, um, I think that you also give uh, you can like if he if he does become like more unlocked as a rangy guy, like a guy who is a space eater and and leverages a playmaker, you can always put him on twos because like there's just not that many good twos in the league. Like the shooting guard position is a place where you can hide people, especially if you like if people continue to do this. Like I have one guy who only stands in the corner on the floor at all times. You can be like, hey Jabari, this dude is like. That's who you're covering. If you want to like help off him, you know how far you can go and like go cause some havoc. Like that's always going to be a pathway as long as people believe in the stashing money in the corners idea or philosophy. So I think that like in a lot of ways, seeing him as a three raises his defensive value just because you're going to, you're not going to have him guard like the Paul Mills apps of the world ever. It's just a waste of his talents. And it's a, I mean, it's, not a waste. it's a misallocation of his talents where like you can have him slide with every backup league in the or every backup wing in the league, like day one. And like, yeah, he's going to get, you know, cooked on, on like the strength-based guys um, in the first couple of years. But like, 
I think that you will just win far more by giving him all of the exposure to every type of wing early than you would like being having be a four who's like, oh, when they go small, we have Jabari. It's like, no, throw him on wings, like, put him in the deep end. He has the lateral ability for that. He has the instincts for that. And like trying to unlock the maximum out of that, like, is he going to turn into Devin Bissell most likely? But there is more value there than having him slide down the positional spectrum. To me, uh, just in terms of like exposing him and not and and not limiting how many types of guys he can handle on ball. Um, and there's a ton of value in that in the same way of like, I don't know. Uh, I think that that's the under, like if we're going to discuss Jabari as a wing, the trade-offs that we have for the knocks on the handle, um, the knocks on the high hips and the knocks on the passing jobs, you get all of that back and maybe more uh, because you can always have somebody else, you know, handle the ball. That's finding ball handlers in the league is not hard. Um, especially if he's a, you know, since he's a good off ball shooter, it's not like, Oh, it, you know, we're losing so much. It's like, yeah, you can just run him off screen. Sound it's terrifying, but you get all of those negatives back as positives because now he's a wing defender. I think that is incredibly valuable and he's a versatile wing defender because the league has played him onto the floor at a second position. And if he becomes really special, then you could probably get him into a third position as either like a, 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 uh, a guy who plays passing lanes against like more playmaking guards. Um, or like if he just like really learns how to like uh, if he gets more explosiveness against weight, like maybe there's types of one like primaries you could throw at. And so like I, I I hope that people have not reacted too much to the idea of he's not a four and then some of the more negative uh or the the more when you refocus that lens, there are more critical aspects of just like being like, Yeah, he's he's an awesome prospect. However, these are the areas you need to fix. It's just like when you get to the defense, you're like, Oh yeah. Playing somebody at a four, not super valuable in a broad sense. Playing them as a three, if they could slide. Oh, buddy. Fun. I uh, I kind of have something relatively hot that I want to say. Um, like, I think it, just in talking about perimeter defense, like Jabari is the player that I think a lot of people considered Scotty last year as a perimeter defender. Like the person who is that rangy with that lateral quickness, like I thought a lot of times last year was just Scotty's supreme length. Like what I find so, and this is not meant as slander. Like that was just more like, I think Jabari is that level of perimeter defender. Like he's that good in terms of using his length. Like um, I do think it will, I mean, we'll talk about the, some of the shortcomings in a second, but like what he's able to do in terms of um, like, there are so many defenders who get considered or called a switch defender but they're not aggressive on switches or actually good at um, – I, I, I don't know. The, like it, the way that Jabari is able to handle somebody at the perimeter is almost like when – this is a terrible analogy. As Jake knows, I'm awful at analogies on possible. Like, you know how, like, if you give a dog an egg, it'll, like, hold the egg or, like, it'll, like it won't, like, break it? That's how I view Jabari, like, playing on the perimeter. Like, um, like he'll, like – let something like he 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 engulfs it like absolutely engulfs it with his aggression like uses his length um does not give opportunities for people to get past him like because he does have the the, the change of direction issues going north south so like using knowing hit, knowing the best way to spatially prevent something is a very good skill that not a lot of guys have at the nba level um, that was like the worst analogy possible. Please, somebody save me from here. Yeah, I mean, so when you talk about with Scotty, you're talking like point of attack. 
Yeah, yeah, at the point of okay. attack. Like, it, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think Scotty. I mean, he moves his hips better than Scotty. So, like, I just yeah. don't like. He's going to get around screens and stuff better. Um, like, I think Scotty has more like technical minutia. Yeah, like, no, really, definitely. It, like, Scotty is just like a much more. I think when people say rangy for Scotty, they're sort of getting lost in the vibes. But like, most of what Scotty does really well is just technical mastery. Yes, exactly. Scott, Scotty does not block a lot of stuff with like his forearm. Like it's all like just barely got it because I like put my foot exactly where it needed to be and closed down these strides. And like, he's just a guy who's not like swarming in the same way where like Jabari does not have a technical mastery. And like, he's getting by with, like I, when I say getting by with like, I mean, like there is untapped potential there. There's just not like a nice way of saying it. Like he just, as he refines, there's going to be more there. Or like Scotty, is going to be this because this is what high level technical acumen paired with a fundamental understanding of where to be positional does. And he, yes, he has very long arms, but like he's also really not an athletic. And Jabbar just has more pathways to reaching higher end outcomes. So like there's just not like either what Scotty does works or it does not. He does not have counters on top of that. His body doesn't really allow for them. Um, you can make some schematic adjustments, but like that's the way that it goes. Um, I think that also seeing like, I think one of the things that, that I don't really, a point I find boring is the idea of like, oh, Jabari is going to get like eaten alive on the inside. It's like, you're not going to put him on like, like fives. It's just like, why? If you may see him as a wing, it's like, yeah, he'll crash down occasionally. And like, yeah, he's not going to rip something out of his hands. But like, we're doing a, a, a disservice on the idea that like he's going to, to like, you're, you're having him check up Joel. No. That never, not not once. Like something has gone phenomenally wrong. There's a post ISO between him and Joel. Like somebody has miscommunicated. Um, you've got to to a, a point after my heart, which is fake switch bigs, um, which is a uh, a thing that a trap that everybody falls into because it's really natural. Guys who are really good mobility guys, and they are just good enough for you to switch them, but not good enough to get anything out of the switch. So like a switch big is somebody who gets stops in switch. A fake switch big is somebody that you want to switch, but then they get cooked. Like it doesn't matter if it looks nice. It doesn't matter if, oh, like, oh, he, he really slid with that guy. But like on the board, it says two points. So it doesn't actually matter. Like your, your defense is worse because you switched it. And like for guys who look really good, they, you know, their, their arms are everywhere. They're long, they have great strides. But like at the end of the day, if you look at points of possession, like, oh, that's food. And it's a trap that like we've all fallen for. Coaches fall, fall for it all the time. Everybody falls for it because you're like, oh, I can we can turn this into something. And then like when you actually look at the data and, and put the emotions aside, like you realize that you've fallen into the trap of like something that feels better than what it actually is. And like there, are, I think there are matchups where like every big falls into that. And like I think that like switch big is uh, probably a term more akin to nuclear shooter than anything else and like we're just treating it as such and there's just a gap of there is a small a small subsection of guys who are um uh, a small subsection of guys who are like conditional switch guys and then a huge chasm of guys who are fake switch things and like yeah you just, uh, there's a band that can be developed and I'm making this really complicated for no reason like there's a small section of people who can't become like sometimes switch guys but the label of switch is like sort of saying like a guy who could knock down threes is sort of like that is a label and it is a really specific label and uh, doing anything other than that um, 
really damages the guys who actually can switch and can get stops because like there's just not that many of those dudes. That's just that's so hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think, as you noted, like it would be doing him a disservice. It's a misallocation of the actual skill set. Unfortunately, we do have to wrap this up, but I want to give a huge shout out to PD for coming on and helping us parse through these two uh, very good prospects. And obviously they each have their strengths. Obviously they each have things they could work on, but two fascinating guys who often get pitted against each other. But as Mark said at best, aren't all that similar. Uh, they're just two 6'10 guys towards the top of the draft board. But PD, please tell the people where they can find you and plug anything and everything. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Above Break 3, uh, where I uh, rattle on about nonsense, uh, most often uniforms and, and the niceness of gyms. Um, there are many really beautiful gyms out there. Um, uh, I work for a company called Cerebro Sports, um, which uh, is working on, on getting you know, coherent and, and viable data um, for as much of the country as possible uh, to be able to have informed discussions about priors um, and to help everybody find a level. Um, I do a lot of writing there. Uh, recently published a piece about Hoopal West. We have one about uh, Hoopal South, North, and Hoopal Classic coming up soon. Um, watching a lot of high school basketball. Um, if you are interested in my writing, um, I write on uh, Patreon. The work is always free. It's the link in my Twitter account. Um, and do a lot of, of work on, on philosophy and shooting development and starting in the next like week or so when I get on traveling, um, we'll be starting up streams on YouTube um, to do you know film breakdowns and historical prospect retrospectives, um, just talking about things that, that can be you know better broken down on tape. And I feel like we have a, a really fun way of, of doing that. Um, both of these gentlemen have been guests on it and they've been you know wonderful at it. Um, you can find that uh, on Twitter if you just or on YouTube if you search Let's Watch Film. Um, and you can probably find me on, on this podcast discussing one of the probably seven different guys that I would say have a circumstance to going number one, um, including the two who shall not be named. Media, this is an absolute blast. Jake, I know you got to run. Thank you to everyone for listening. And most importantly, have a good rest of your day.